0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to Airway First, a podcast from the Children's Airway First Foundation. I'm your host, Rebecca St. James. On the show today, we have two guests, Dr. Kevin Boyd, a board-certified pediatric dentist practicing from Chicago, Illinois, and Dr. Darius Legmani, the director of the Advocate Children's Sleep Network at Advocate Children's Hospital in Chicago. I'll include the bios of both of our guests in the show notes so that you can check out all the great information about them, their background, and the work they do at your leisure. I'm super excited about today's conversation and just want to get it out there. I want to share it with everybody. So without further ado, let's jump into my conversation with Dr. Darius Lakmani and Dr. Kevin Boyd.
1: All right. Thank you both for joining us today. It's great to see you on a Friday afternoon. Uh, nice (laughs) Nice to see
2: you too nice really i am so really uh looking forward to this
1: good me too Me too. just so everybody knows um you know we'll cover a few questions just kind of for parents on sleep that you know i've received but after that the main focus today is to talk about collaboration on the two sides you know medical and dental and the benefits um, which is why you're both here so one of the things that I, I got a question on and if you don't mind. I just uh, Darius, if you would just kind of elaborate on this. And I've heard you talk about this though. Uh, good sleepers, bad sleepers when it comes to children. Can you just dispel that myth for us right out of the gate?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think that there's there is a sense and it goes beyond just sleep. I think in, in all elements of life, we think that there are nice people and mean people. We think that there are uh you know uh we just like to have a dichotomy and and we like to put people in a box and say this is where they are i've met them you know this is why there's so much emphasis on like first impressions and that sort of thing because you may never see them again. With children it's different right because you're with them every day every night is different Mm
2: -hmm.
3: so uh and especially for young children as they're growing and developing they're different every couple weeks Mm -hmm. um so I think the to be able to step back from the idea of, of are they good sleepers or bad sleepers and start to think about how are we nurturing this capacity to transition from the day to nighttime, uh, from wake to sleep. Um, then we can think about it more like walking, right? Like you wouldn't say that a baby is a good or a bad walker. Right. If, if they took a couple steps and fell down, we wouldn't say, well, I guess that's it. <laughs> not, right, he's a bad walker. Yeah, be bad walkers and never dance and never sing. Or, uh, so we, if we think about it as a uh, as a process, and you know, like how are we fostering this process of of transitioning from from the daytime to nighttime, it becomes easier. And, th- and there's there's a lightness to it, right? Now the parent can actually learn about how am I helping them wrap up the day? How am I? Right. Like, what are the things that I can do to help them know that their their day is done? What are the physical signals, and what are kind of the, the mental things that we need to do to be
1: able to uh, to help them do that? So let's kind of build on that because one of the things that you know we talk to parents about a great deal is when your kids are sleeping, go in there, listen to them, listen to the sounds. Are, are they snoring? Are they restless? All these kind of things. As a parent, if I have a child that's a chronic habitual snorer, and I come in to my airway centric dentist, you know, How does this work? because um, a lot of what we're hearing, which is part of why we're here today, is a parent will come in to a dentist, dentist refers to the pediatrician, and we hear, nope, don't worry about it. They'll grow out of it, whatever the reasons are. So let's talk a little bit about that. You know, a parent comes in to an airway centric dentist. You know, first, Dr. Kev, what can we expect?
2: One thing is um, you know, airway centric dentist you know what does that mean and you know so well obviously we know you know we know you know so you know when I first started hanging out with Darius uh at then Children's Memorial Hospital it's called Lurie Children's now but um it was sort of like I learned all these things from him and Stephen Sheldon um and then I was like a new convert to a religion almost. I just sort of had to tell everybody about it and started doing a deep dive. And um, then I started getting invited to dental, you know, study clubs and meetings. And I remember one of the first ones that I talked at, um, I brought up bedwetting and this older gentleman, kind of cantankerous, actually stood up didn't even raise his hand he goes i thought this was a dental meeting what are you talking about bed for <laughs> and he was getting ready to walk out and and the person who invited me said you know dr gillespie or whoever you are you know just please um listen to what dr boyd has to say and uh and then you know so and now it's so in the public domain that mm-hmm. parents and and you know the, the blogs and people come to my office, not any more surprised. It's why would you be asking me all these questions? I thought you were a dentist. You know, it, it's sort of like they come, and they said, you know, they not only get that they come preloaded. I mean, it's just sort of like they know uh, what's going on and they want to get to the bottom of it. Uh, so that's helped a lot, uh, for me, but I, I don't really like the term airway centric dentist. It's it sort of, um, I like it amongst us, but, but getting it out there, it's almost, um, like an advertising gimmick or something that, oh, you know, I'm different. And, but I, I understand it. I'm not passing judgment on people that use it. I just, I don't, I don't like to call myself that. I'm just, a I'm a pediatric dentist who understands that sleep and breathing health is a component of oral health. And that's, you know, the American Dental Association now has a policy statement on it. So, you know, cavities, gum disease and airway health, you know, is they're, they're all in the same plane. right? Uh, so,
1: so hopefully, you know, as this does actually take a hold and it, it's, it's, taught in medical school or dental school it could just be dentist because we know it's just part of what you look for right and, well and I, I
2: never called myself a cavity centric dentist right uh, you know I I or diet a, a diet centric because I am I mean I I studied nutrition before I became a dentist and I understand the dietary component of you know, sugar overconsumption—that's what causes right. so much need for dentistry anymore. Our our whole dental industry is built upon sugar. It just is, whether people want to talk about it or not. But so I don't know. I I, I like I like this change. the yeah. This attitude that we're not just uh, putting out sugar fires all day long. You know. Right. But there's other things we can do for children.
1: And, you know, that's one of the things we hear a lot, though, in our various podcasts with guests. Dentists at this point are kind of becoming the gatekeepers. You know, you're you're seeing things and you're, you're going past, just like you said, just past cavities or you're looking at, okay, is there airway blocked or are there other issues that we need to see? And then you've started this collaboration with Darius and Let's talk about that a little bit, because this is one of the things that CAF really is rallying for, is we want this inclusive medical team. You know, it's not just pediatricians over here and myofunctional therapists here and dentists here. And we're looking at
2: kids particularly holistically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think. Darius, why don't you um, talk a little bit about the evolution of our, you know, that one day that you talked to me and, you know. And the that uh, the telephone room back at the old children's. Um that's where it all started. You're the one who started it, not me.
3: <laughs> is it, we've, we've been thinking a lot about this. Because the truth is like we don't see there aren't medical dental collaborations. Like, I, I can't name I can't name another another dyad like this with Kevin and I. I've been thinking a lot about it, and is it the data is not strong enough? Is it that people haven't been introduced to the concepts? But that's not that's not it. I mean, people really understand all that stuff. I think the reality is that I think we have been underestimating the local nature of this, just how specific this kind of a collaboration has to be, that it's a person with a person. Right? Kevin and I are friends first. right and all of these all of these uh collaborations like the way that we've been trading treating. I mean if you look at the way that Kevin's been practicing like it's changed over time if you look at the way that I've practiced it's changed over time it's not because Kevin said you should do xyz like we've been evolving towards each other because we have a common center right like he and I both care about the child and when you keep the child at the center if you move towards like increase like improving care or trying to understand the reality of the child from these different perspectives you see how we start to move closer to each other if we were to try and move closer to each other without that common sense or we're always going to be like necessarily someone will be further from the from the other right i think that's
2: yeah go ahead well do you remember you know when we first were introduced to each other and i found out that you did some of your training at rush and I said, do you know so and so? And you said yes, he's a legend.
3: Yep. Do you remember
2: who that do you remember who that person was? I'll give you a hint. He has yeah. no he has no hair. He just walked out of the room. I'm in his office
3: at R yeah. <laughs> these are like it's this, it's this level of like, I mean, the number of connect points that we had like grew. Like but we, and so I don't know how much of this is personality, how much of this was, was just like, as soon as we met, like Kevin and John Kelly and I, like, we just started having conversations because we were interested. We were trying to learn. Right. But medicine isn't about learning anymore. Like med- healthcare in general, it's not about learning. It's distributing what you know. Yeah. And so the fact that there's a few, there, there aren't that many of people with this training makes that this scare, a scarce resource. So then mm-hmm. people are fighting over access to this scarce resource. And so then you can, that drives up costs. I think one of the things that we recognize is one of the main barriers to this collaboration is actually just culture, the culture in both these fields around uh, money. What do you mean? How, about how things are paid for. Right? Like in medicine, everything's paid through the insurance. Like, mm-hmm. And uh, doctors never have that conversation, or their offices never have that conversation. With the patient, like it's always talk to your insurer. Okay, but in dentistry, it's a different story, right? There's a there's a service. This is this is something that's beyond what's covered with insurance, um, and it's it's uh, often times it's cash. It's right out of, like it's out of pocket. And what I've found is when I'm describing this to people, to to physicians, they're like, "That's great. This sounds really good." And then they they'll send a patient. To be seen. And when the price, when the price of the of the treatment comes back, that's the last referral that they'll make to the dentistry. Okay. So th- this idea of like, mm-hmm. how is it that we're also taking responsibility for the cost of these of these uh procedures so that we can respect the the expertise that goes into it, we can respect mm-hmm. the amount of money that costs like chair time is no joke, right? <laughs> like if you could like yeah. you could in for cavities, like you have to be able to, we have to respect that um but then how is how is it that in this collaboration we're making it possible to take care of children for less. And this is something Ke- Kevin and I talk about this all the time. It's like and this is part of why we started a course. We started like training more dentists to be able to think systematically and act systematically in reviewing x-rays, reviewing records and uh to be able to identify p- patients that from for any any dispassionate observer would be able to look at the data and say this is a kid that needs that needs to be expanded. So how does
1: this work then with the the, the two of you? I mean, is this something that is reproducible?
3: I think the I think what we've found, at least in this in in like the these initial efforts that we've made in terms of bringing people together to think to think together about this, I think when we know that there are common questions. And people learn how to how to uh, how to step back from this idea of I need to convince you right? because this is usually the tone of the of the of the conversation between like uh, like two practitioners. Doesn't matter what what kind of practice, right? Like right. I remember when I started at Advocate, we were just starting the sleep program. And I went and met pediatricians, and I'd say, "This is what we're doing. This is what we're like. We're running sleep studies." And they're like, "Oh, so you're here to sell sleep studies?" I see. I was like, I don't want you to do a sleep study. I don't want any of your kids to have sleep studies. But if they're snoring and they have sleep apnea, I do think that there's like... And so the, the question becomes right. less about like, I want you to do this. It becomes more about, well, what kid would you actually send for a sleep study?
1: Mm-hmm. Right. That
3: Now we have a question, and now we have a partnership around that question that we know serves that child. So to develop more collaborations that ke- like like Kevin and I are having, we're trying to, to, to help people actually develop those attitudes and those qualities, right? The quality of, like, humility. I don't know what the kid needs. I'm not going to say every kid needs to be expanded. Like, some of them, and, and some of them will need to be expanded for malocclusion, right? And so that's well in the, that's in the wheelhouse of a dentist. Don't call me about that kid. But if there's Sorry. a kid that, that has a, that's snoring, gasping, has, a, has signs of an airway issue and needs expansion, Let's think about which kids, which kids do we expand, and then what are the targets like? How like like Kevin now is measuring like now has has uh, you know he's got the bogan index. He's got he just sent me today slides of about eighty one and eighty two that just show like the different the different uh, changes in the in the airway, the nasal pharynx, and the oral pharynx after palate expansion. right? Developing that common language. To be able to, so that we're, so we're comparing apples to apples, right? Mm
1: -hmm.
3: Otherwise you end up with like, I'm looking at tonsils and he's looking at the intermolar width and and neither of us really know what we're talking about, like like (laughs) what the other one's talking about.
1: Right. Right. So then when it comes to implementing this um, in schools, is it more that we have to get everyone trained on airway or this new collaborative approach? Or is it
3: both? I think we need to be able to think systematically. (laughs) Think and act systematically. So the questions are common and very simple, actually. we don't need, I don't know that we need like an elaborate screen. Does your child snore more than three nights a week? Do they have trouble falling asleep and staying asleep? If the answer is no to both of those, you probably don't need to see a specialist. Um, Because even in asking the question, you have put it on the radar. Of, of the yeah. parents, and more and more pediatricians are seeing like ADHD, like inattention, hyperactivity, or signs of sleepiness, as as well as it could be ADHD. So, if as those three kind of as we kind of socialize those questions, yeah. just help more and more people know that these are important considerations when you're looking at a child. Then I, I think we'll we'll see like the, more people will recognize the need for collaboration in this regard.
2: I, I think what Darius and I have sort of we've got a really good handle on it is that, you know, what does the face have to do, the face and jaws, what does that have to do with sleep and breathing? And it's like Darius knows that now that, the, you know, the the face is the front of the airway. And, mm-hmm. and you know, me, well, I'm a dentist. You deal with teeth and and gums and and you know the palate, you know that. Well, what does that have to do with sleep and breathing? And that is so obvious to both of us of how much I have learned about his world and uh, how he has taken the time to learn. Like when I remember, well, he's you know John Kelly and I would go into a, a room with one of his sleep patients that was referred there because the kid already has apnea and. Uh, maybe he already had a sleep study or, or is going to get one, and John he would have us come and look. So what about the mouth? What's going on? Well, he's crowded, crowding. What do you mean crowding? What's crowdy? What does that mean? And it, the 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 kind of um, I don't know glib comment that I always say is, is physicians if they had one lecture in medical school um, mm-hmm. on dentistry, they either missed it. Or they forgot everything they learned, and you know, so they're they're new. But that's a good thing because they're a blank slate, a tabla rasa. You can, and somebody like Darius who's curious and hungry to inform his own science with my science, um, it is magic what can happen uh, when when we're both collaborating on a single child, and parents parents can feel it; they appreciate it. Uh, and we want to teach other people how to do it. Uh, and and yes, you you can package this, and you can you can show it to other people who want to learn. But yeah. if they don't want to learn, like Darius said, if they don't want to learn, um, you know that that's they. If they're not curious about this, and it's a, it's a waste of time. Um, so we're very. We'll talk to anybody, but if it's a big group we're lucky to have three or four people out of a hundred that will come up and they want more. It's just, you know, yeah. uh, but it's changing. It's, it, it's more and more people are really wanting to know about this. And it's, I mean, i finding that meant- dentistry. I don't know what Darius is finding more physicians that want to know more about dentistry, but, uh, I know a lot of dentists that want to know, you know, about sleep medicine. <clears throat>
1: and then it's groups like, um, uh- Airway Health solutions or um you know, the, the sleep education consortium, it's they're both trying to reach. I say both sides. I don't want it to sound like you know it's a warring fraction here, but you know, the medical and dental, they're they're focused on trying to bring in this collaboration.
3: Um, I think theoretically it's very clear and it's easy, right? You just mm-hmm. say we just need we just need medicine and dentistry to collaborate. But I think we've I think we've underestimated just the difference, like the distance between the two. And it, it really tr- tr- it traces back to like the early 1900s like where like the where the educational standards were put in place. And that was where you really saw this divide, where like the ACGME, like, like, like the standards for, a, for a medical education and the standards for dental education became uh separate. And and the collaborations between the two also like then became separate. And
2: then- you know, a, d- a date, a date that's uh, a point of departure, and I, it might be coincidental. I don't know if it's cause and effect, but it's World War II, 1940. I mean, I have so much literature, and Darius and I, I've, sh- I've shared it with him. I'm, I'm publishing on it, and I'm putting in, I'm putting in references in my bibliographies that that, in the, you know, not too long ago, they would have been rejected, but the, the information. Like in invited commentaries or or book chapters that I write. Um, the information is so compelling that the publishers will include references from 1912 that, yeah. that highlight the collaboration between what they called rhinologists. They we call them ENTs now, um, and you know, dentists and orthodontists it wasn't just orthodontists that did this. It was it was family dentists or what we call primary care dentists now. Um, this was on. There was so much communication between medicine and dentistry relative to the comorbidity of malocclusion, underdeveloped jaws and, and faces, uh, yeah. and airways, and uh, you know the the symptoms that they had, and then what the the old fashioned language that Doctor Bogue, MD in the early 1900s used. Um, was uh, expanding the deciduous arch to gain nasal respiratory advantage. That's how he described it. And, and he was a physician who almost limited his practice to kids under six years old. And, yeah. and um, you know, that to me was so enlightening when I discovered his body of work. And uh, it's all evidence, you know, it's evidence-based. It's, it's, it's backed up. By, by controlled observational trials that are published that, that all over the place. Uh, in- Dr. Doctor Bogue expanded his first kids seven years after the end of the Civil War. That's when he started expanding kids because he just, he had a hunch. They <laughs> <Wow>.
3: were, <laughs> they're using vulcanized rubber for pallets.
2: Vulcanized rubber instead of acrylic,
3: you bet. So these are, I think these are the things that like to return to that, would not be like, it's not going to be a natural, like it took, it, it took a hundred years to get rid of that collaboration. <clears throat> it's gonna take time to bring it back. I think the, the, the key point is, cause like when, it, when we come back to like the question of cost like Kevin and I, when we initially collaborated like Kevin just like, ate the cost of those kids, like, like of care. Like these were most of the kids that we take care of in academic centers are are public aid kids. They don't like they don't have. They're not going to be able to come up with the amount of money that it often it, it costs to do this. So Kevin would. It's not that he would do it absolutely for free because there has to be buy-in and there's. But this. But he was willing to work with them. I think it, that willingness to sacrifice. I think yeah. is really important, right? Because this is time and energy that nobody has extra, right? Nobody has extra right. time. The right. amount, of, like, I mean, if you like. Kevin will tell you, like our big breakthroughs like are on like on beaches after talks or in the pool before them. You know, <laughs> like it's, like it takes a lot of time and just being like, I wonder why this is like this. What if we looked at it from this perspective? Mm-hmm. And then just the dedication to time, like, okay, let's let's try this for a little while and see where we go. But those are, I mean, really, this is like it's mutual support, it's encouragement, right? Like we're when we're getting in touch, we're we're asking real questions. We're challenging each other. We're saying, "Tell me why would you do that?" And then, what else? What can we do to make this more accessible? Um, often, to our detriment- and this kind of
1: collaboration. Yeah, oh, I'm sorry. I was gonna say this kind of collaboration can go just beyond um, sleep medicine and dentistry. I mean, you guys could truly expand this, right?
3: Yeah, that's the like the the question is like I mean when you talk about like we're lucky enough to have Jody Walker like as a myofunctional therapist in our area right who just as a person is 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 remarkable and so to be able to spend time with like when we get, when we get together and we're talking about patients we're we're not limiting it to like are you going to send them to me or not right it's like right. Oh, what, like how many more kids like this might there be how are we going to make this available to kids that maybe don't have these needs? If we were to work Mm -hmm. in a school, how are we going to fund this? But This is where like lessons that we've learned from cystic fibrosis, or we learned from the, from the polio vaccine become really important. Like if there are foundations that are interested in supporting, uh, supporting the growth of this work the expansion of access to, to providers that currently is scarce, what cystic fibrosis did is they said, is there an area that has access to these patients and what do they need to continue their work or to advance their work? Do they need a nurse, a, a nurse coordinator? Do they need a, a fellow to help cover the rest of their work so that they can, so that they can get, dedicate more attention to this. But I think what they did is they supported the, the grassroots collaborations in service to the patients. Right, I, I don't know. I know there's been a lot of effort to changing curriculum, medical and dental curriculum, I don't know that that's going to lead Mm -hmm. the way, right? Medical, like when when we take our boards, we know that you don't write the answer Mm -hmm. of what you would do, right? You write the answer for what they're looking for, which is usually maybe five years, five years behind what we're actually doing.
0: You're listening to Airway First with today's guest, Dr. Darius Lagmani and Dr. Kevin Boyd. You can find out more about the Children's Airway First Foundation and our mission to fix before six on our website at childrensairwayfirst.org. The CAF website offers tons of great resources for both parents and medical professionals, including videos, blogs, recommended reading, comprehensive medical research, podcasts, and so much more. We also encourage parents to join the Airway Huddle, our Facebook support group, which was created for parents of children with airway and sleep-related issues. You can access the Airway Huddle support group at facebook.com backslash groups backslash airwayhuddle. As a reminder, this podcast and the opinions expressed here are not a medical diagnosis. If you suspect your child might have an airway issue, contact your pediatric airway dentist or pediatrician. And now let's jump back into our conversation with today's guests, Dr. Darius Lagmani and Dr. Kevin Boyd.
1: Yeah, it's interesting to, to kind of piggyback on that because in a, in a meeting that Kevin and I were in last weekend, I guess it was, um, it was talked about that the moms, the moms are going to be, a
2: catalyst for this, yeah. You know,
3: I mean, yes, is that yeah, Absolutely. 100%. 100%. But where do they like what venue do moms have to be mm-hmm. able to demonstrate that, that like what they've learned to support each other to be able to, right? Like the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation started was started by parents of kids with cystic fibrosis. Mm-hmm. Right. And they just started collecting data on what they were doing and what their child had and what tests were being done. And they started a registry. But that registry was was focused on the number of patients. Right. The last thing we want is for every dentist to say, I took a class in in dental school and now I'm an airway centered uh, dentist. Right. Like this is this is a, like we are very early in our process. And when you're early in a process that's this complex, you have to move systematically. You have to be able to document what you're doing in a systematic way. And you have to be you're interested more in, in the questions than in the answers. Right. You don't you don't take an answer that you got from an initial effort and say, now everyone should do X. Right. We say, oh, that's how you saw it. How did you see it? What did you do? So I think this is what, like, really what we're, what we're moving from is, is a, uh, there are two fields that, like, in, in healthcare in general, but dentistry and, and medicine certainly, right. where you have certification to do something,
1: and
0: then
3: you go out and you do it, but certification isn't, it's not sufficient. I'm certified as a surgeon, but if I operate, someone's in trouble, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a, I shouldn't be operating, but the... If I was to say like, so it, rather than being focused on certification, we should be thinking about who has access to what we want to learn about. And truthfully, parents have the access to what we want to learn about. How did you expand them every day? What's it like to try and expand a four-year-old? <laughs> how did you explain to your to your, to your your spouse why your kid who was speaking fine yesterday is having a little trouble today? How long is that going to last with this pallet expander in place? Well, now, how does
2: Darius know how to be so eloquent because he's got his own children and he's watched yes. all these things it's not that I told him this happens or he he's he's experienced it with his own yep. kid and you know it, it it really adds depth um to your opinion Darius uh, about this i i've never I've never even thought about it you like let's say boy, listen to him oh oh, that's right his kids he's got three kids
3: right uh, i mean but there's i think what we've seen is healthcare has always been about the knower telling somebody what to do and in medicine right. and dentistry, we are the knowers right we have the the robes and everything right it's almost right. like a priesthood right you come in you tell me you confess your sins i'll tell you what to do and then you and then you go and you either do it or you don't mm-hmm. and then you come back to me right so but we have to flip that right Physicians and dentists, we are we are at the service of our patients, right? We we are in a position to actually give voice to what we're hearing from our from these parents. So I think it, like to be able to do that most effectively again, like it's a it's a super local process, right? In, right. in Chicago, we have a unique opportunity because we because we're here. But if we started to bring together the parents. The kids that that we that have had this treatment, we would learn a ton. Right, but where's like there's no mechanism for that because Kevin's busy expanding them and I'm being, I'm busy. You know, like right. But that's I think the organization and the structure that would be most effective is getting those stories from the parents. What did you see? How did it affect yeah. them? How far did you expand them? What are some tricks that you did to be able to help them? yeah
1: absolutely and I think also this is why it's so important we always tell parents advocate for your child right because you know your child best exactly yeah Yeah, you may not know the medical term but you know your child can't sleep or you know your child's having trouble swallowing or whatever it is
3: yeah and if they don't know we don't argue with them right like if 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 uh kevin sees a kid and and they say uh are they snoring like yeah they're snoring but it's not too bad then he he just says well look at these questions take them home and then uh this is what is it barry rayfield has has the uh as the uh what does he call it the private eye or like the where he says just observe your kid here's a list of things just observe your kid and uh and we'll talk again in a couple months we'll talk in six months and then when they come back, they're like, yeah, you're right. Every time they're watching TV, it's <laughs> wide open. And they're like, yeah, he is snoring and he's restless. And you know, our job is not to convince people that there's a problem with their child. I think that's another, another element of the of the uh of the approach that's historically been taken that I think is really making it hard. Is there's an alarmist kind of like, if you don't do something tonight,
1: right. your child's
3: gonna lose brain cells. And we we have to step back from that because it's it's uh it's frankly too frightening for parents to think that yeah. they've been ignoring their child as their brain is is you know atrophying. You know, I had a um
2: consultation today on a uh 7 I think a 7-year-old that you know the radiology report said that the airway is 80% occluded uh in the area of the adenoids and nasopharynx and um you know the parents are very astute they just moved here but they've been all over the country Uh, and you know i brought up the term uh habitual chronic mouth breathing is dangerous and you know they, they was like is that a little extreme and i go well you know what i that's one thing i don't soft sell and then I explained to them and then I showed the x-rays and how important it is for nasally inspired air to be cleaned and humidified and release nitric oxide, you know, all the mm-hmm. the basics and um, at the end of the consultation, you know, the, the, the father was just sort of like, wow, we've been to UCSF and we've been to, um, I don't know, various institutions and nobody has okay. really said he won't grow out of it. He'll just yeah. grow out of it. And it's like, I said, well, you know what? Nobody knows your child uh, and nobody has an instinct for your child like his parents. And if you guys right. don't think oh. this is right, and like I'm maybe, yeah, I so. but I I don't soft sell that part of it, but I might not be the right practice no, for right. you. And this isn't for everybody. Your instinct has to tell you no. this is something I need I'll to know more about or the the uh uh I need more information and, and that's fine. And I, I'll just say, look, um he's seven. I I you know, if you want to wait a year, I'd rather see him at eight than ten. Um and yeah. I, I really do. I like I I want parents to rely on their own instincts for their own child. So um uh, because the kid will pick up on it if, if well, one even if work. one parent is in doubt it's not going to work um you know because the child gets confused and it and, and it can affect their ability to want to do you know to be compliant and do the treatment
3: i feel really strongly about that there's a there's a there's a shift Then I, I don't know if it's happening with other physicians i know i'm definitely having this shift maybe it's just that time like the time of my career or what but like what I, what I realized is like initially, I thought of myself like a detective. Okay. You know, and like when I'm visiting with someone, I'm listening and I'm like, all right, tell me more about this. And what about this? And I'm doing a physical exam and looking. And then I piece it together and I'm like, I think I know what you have. This is the diagnosis, this is the treatment. Let's see how it goes. And you come back and then they'll say, oh, well, thank you, doctor. Right. But I think increasingly, what I'm realizing is I'm actually the sketch artist. Right. Mm-hmm. They're describing what's happening. And I'm trying to piece it together. I'm saying, okay, okay, tell me more about this part. And then they're telling me and I'm writing it down. I said, tell me more about this. What about this piece here? And they tell me, and because I know kind of like, I need to ask more questions about the eyes. I need them to describe the ears and the hairstyle. And that's what, this is what's gonna help them recognize what's going on. Then when I reflect at the end of the the visit, I can say, this is why I was asking these questions. And then, uh, after After when they know, if they know why I'm asking those questions, then they'll know the importance of their answers, and I then know. they'll say, "Oh, okay, that's why." So then they're not surprised at the end of the of the 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 diagnosis or of the treatment recommendations. All of that clicks for them because I've been able to explain like the scientific principles involved as well as allowing them to fully explain what's happening with their child. So they recognize yeah. their child in the principles and they can figure out what the next steps are.
1: Yeah, and that's, that's as a parent, that's a that's helpful because we don't get it, we don't understand. We're we're told your child has this go do this. Well, right. unless you're one of those people that goes and digs and digs, you just take it at face value and move
3: on. Right. And so I think one of the one of the things that Kevin and I really have had to do, especially with the people that were in these in these initial cohorts. Um was to say, look, these are the questions that when you ask them, they help people understand. These are the concepts that when you explain them, people start to understand. It's, I mean, and it's not a hundred. It's like 10 things if you tell, if you tell them. Like, like when you say, like, you know, prehistoric skulls, they all had straight teeth and they didn't, and their wisdom wisdom teeth fit. And they didn't have cavities. Right. And there were no dentists. People always like, really? Like, yeah, <laughs> straight teeth, no cavities, everything was great. And the wisdom teeth fit. Uh-huh. And like, oh. So the skulls are changing shape. It's like, it looks like the skulls are changing shape and this is what we're seeing. So why, and then what's the impact, right? All that stuff, like when you provide someone with that background, then they're joining you in looking at the child, right? They're the most important right. They're They're most important kind of uh, element of this system. They're the frontline workers. We are working, we're supporting them to think clearly about their child.
1: Yeah, and that makes sense. So usually at the end of a podcast, I turn it over to the guest. And in this case, it's the guests. Um, for you guys just to have the final thought or you know message for parents or medical providers.
2: Darius, please go first. I'd, I'd like to, <laughs> well, I like Well, Well, I just, I learned something new every time what he reflects on what we've been doing over the last 10 12 years and um and i just like to
3: yeah build on whatever he says i think the i think the most important thing at this stage in the development of the field uh, at this stage in terms of medical and dental collaboration and the most important thing is to be able to clearly state what are the questions that we're asking together And what is the systematic way that we're pursuing answers to them? How are we thinking and acting systematically in determining which kid needs what kind of treatment? Because the better we are at actually saying those things, Mm
1: -hmm.
3: the easier it'll be for people that are interested in those same questions to join us. And I I think that really it's going to have to be at the level of, of people. We're gonna to have to be able to say, we're gonna start with these, these two people. And then maybe some of their friends. And how do we support spaces where some of their friends can come together and to think together, right? right. I don't mean in terms of talks. Everyone like like when you when you have a speaker, you've limited the 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 um, the knowledge in the room to that one person.
1: Right, because it's one or direction.
3: One, it's, yeah, it's one one person's experience. If you have a room full of providers that take care of sleep patients. Why wouldn't you want to hear from all of them? That's what, like you have you like you would multiply the number of insights you'd have access to. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I think that having having a, a systematic approach in that way of saying I think Chicago is right for it. Kevin and I are going to be speaking at a at a, a symposium that we're organizing in this way, where there will be short talks from from an ENT. Uh, Kevin will share. the other okay. sleep provider that will share. And that'll follow a case. And then afterwards, there'll be a lunch where we'll get to hear, we'll hear from everybody. I think this idea okay. of actually allowing for reciprocity mm-hmm. right from other providers, from the people that are participating, and from the parents, right There needs to be a space, like an interest in the parent voice. Like what's been your experience? not as a patient, What's your experience as the parent taking care of this child that is that's undergoing this this uh, this process? Dr. Point? So I think what I'd like to leave people with
2: is, um, if you think something's wrong, and what you're hearing from trusted, respected, deservedly, you know, wonderful healthcare providers that you've uh, had confidence in for yourself and and for your child, when they say, well, you know, relax, things will get better, They'll, they'll grow out of it. And that doesn't make sense to you, or there's just a little bell ringing or a little voice in your head that says, ah, maybe not." Um, listen to that voice. and it, like today, I was telling you, I had uh, a consultation with this these parents about this child who who's got some significant issues. and um, the father was at the end of you know, I took him through everything. He just said, "Well, you know, everyone told us that he'd grow out of it, and they were right. You know, his snoring did, after a few years, it, it went away. Well, I didn't want to say, like, well, what happened in those few years? You know, what uh-huh. What we don't know. And there's there's something called uh, the chat study from uh, Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, where they did this watchful waiting with kids who had large adenoids. And let's not do surgery. Let's just see. If the snoring and the mouth breathing, you know, gets better. And and sometimes it does, and, and often it will. But what's going on while the body is trying to come up with compensations for that? I don't need to get into that with people. It's it's their child. And I just look, I'm here if you need me. But I that's the advice I would I would give. And, and also, especially in the realm of orthodontics is that the orthodontic association by age seven, that's when a child should be seen for the first, you know, exam, uh, orthodontic exam. And that's like, you know, a kid with nearsightedness at four. Well, you know, ophthalmologists wanna see kids at two before age two. And they correct vision if there's a problem because it will worsen and it could lead to neurological problems. What does that sound like?
3: Malocclusion,
2: if a jaw is too narrow, and if it's too far back and it's too long or too short, uh, say at the age of three, four five years old, it 100% will persist. That's been uh-huh. known for a hundred years. Skeletal deficiency, maldevelopment of the craniofacial respiratory complex does not self-correct, it cannot self-correct. It will only become more complex. So that, that's what people need to understand. That is that is a medically defensible statement that I just made. It's a scientifically supportable statement, um, and that's what I'd like to leave people with.
3: Yeah, I think that the, those. I think as more of us are able to kind of speak to those kind of those kind of uh, just the data around those things, I think it'll be easier to have those one-to-one conversations. I really don't envy institutions. I don't envy the American Academy of Sleep Medicine. I don't like or the, or the Academy of Pediatric Dentistry or the ADA or uh, even even foundations like CAF. Like CAP or um, because the the role of the institutions it can't be to raise awareness because there's nowhere for them to go. Right? Right. We don't have we don't have and I think this is a part of why pediatricians when someone comes and says my kid is snoring, pediatricians are like, "You'll probably be okay." Because there aren't, there are only three hundred pediatric sleep doctors in the country. There aren't that many labs. Like every wait, every time we open a bed, like it's the, there's a three month wait wait time for it. It, it just builds up there to that amount. The need far outstrips the the capacity to respond. So, what is it that an institution does? I think increasingly, I think the the lessons from cystic fibrosis and and polio come in. I think we have to be able to figure out how do we how do we support. The groups that are doing this work,
1: right.
0: so that
3: they have time to systematize their approach, and then you like you raise up a number of locations around the around the country where people are doing this, and you just collect the data, and then systematically like cystic fibrosis, they used to just put out they used to say these are all the centers, this is the FEV one for each center, they said this one is this one's better than this one, like why is that? So then, then they're thinking about okay, how do we support more people? Mm-hmm. I and mean, the efforts of cystic fibrosis, like over time, the commitment to long-term effort and supporting work at the grassroots. Yeah. Now we have cure for CF. Right. This is a big. This was a, a huge accomplishment, but I think we we're not going to have. It's not going to be one thing that changes and then everything gets better. It's going to take take time. So, I,
2: I think what Darius brings up about supply and demand. Is is that the demand for sleep related you know services is mm-hmm. starting because it's in the public domain, the demand is rising, but the supply of competent, qualified uh, providers is is minimal. And it's mm-hmm. the same thing that that I mean recently I got a letter of referral of a, a six year old who had malocclusion and sleep disorder, breathing comorbidity. And this orthodontist said, Kevin, I'm downstate. This family is three hours from you. However, I'm aware of your work. I'm aware of your successes. Um, I know this kid needs what you can do. I unfortunately am not comfortable treating this child, but i they said they'd be willing to try. This is an orthodontist. I framed yeah. it. Who, who said, look, it, this is out of my purview. I've not had much luck treating this, but I know it needs treatment. And he sent this kid. So let, let's see more that is still very rare, but Darius and I are so determined to get more people competent and qualified so that we can solve problems before they, you know, he has to see him. He's yeah. responsible for 200,000 children in greater Chicago. He can't do all that. so. He's he's ultimately selfish. He's trying to create an army that can help him yeah. solve these problems. He's a valiant warrior. <clears throat> yeah,
3: and the rate limiting step at this point isn't necessarily the skills, it's the qualities and the attitudes. Having somebody that when they're doing it would be able to say, like, I actually don't know. I don't know how to do this. Like for that orthodontist, if they had a relationship with Kevin where they could say, like, OK, well, let's look at the films together. Mm-hmm. Like, all right, now let's look and see, what are our goals here? And then maybe send them and I can get them started and you can follow them, right? But we don't practice like that, right? right. inter inter-institutional collaboration doesn't happen, right? Like, like in the medical world, it's because your insurance requires you to go to this hospital or, or this hospital. Mm-hmm. And in dentistry, every, every clinic is its own business, right? So why would I help? Like Kevin is an outlier. He's like, I'll help you take great care of your kids. I don't want you to, I don't, I don't, like, you don't have to, I'm not going to bill them for that. I want like, send me the name yeah. of your practice, I'll help. But that's a quality, that's a quality, that's a, like, a, that's humility, that's, that's a, a courage, that's dedication to the, to the good of the child, right?
1: Which we need more of,
2: obviously.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Well, I can't thank you both enough for being on the podcast today. I really yeah, appreciate it. Helpful.
2: Thanks, Rebecca. You do. You're so professional. You you just ask great questions, and you really understand the depth of the problem. And um, well, that's rewarding for me and Darius because you know the information that that you sort of extracted out of us is going to help a lot of people. Um, but your skill is very much appreciated.
1: <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it.
0: Thanks again to today's guest, Dr. Darius Lakmani and Dr. Kevin Boyd for sharing their medical insight, and to each of you for listening to today's episode. If you're new to our podcast, please don't forget to subscribe. And if you enjoyed today's episode, leave us a review or comment telling us about what you enjoyed most. You can stay connected with the Children's Airway First Foundation by following us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Parents can also join us via our Facebook support group, The Airway Huddle, at facebook.com backslash groups backslash airwayhuddle. If you haven't already, check out our new YouTube channel. You can find a variety of informative original video content, as well as the video recordings and excerpts from selected Airway First podcast episodes. You can find a link to our YouTube channel on the CAF website. If you'd like to be a guest or have an idea for an upcoming episode, shoot us a note via the contacts page on our website or send us an email directly at info at children's And finally, thanks to all the parents and medical professionals out there that are working hard to make the lives of kids around the globe just a little bit better. Take care, stay safe and happy breathing, everyone.